everyone. Welcome to A Gut Feely. My name is Jake and I'm joined here today with Dave. As health coaches and educators, we've helped thousands of clients optimize their life by healing their gut. Our aim with this podcast is to provide you with some of those tools. Now, before we get into it, don't forget to check out the show notes for links to our social media profiles. And if you like what we've got to say, go with your gut and give this podcast a follow. Now, let's get into today's show. <laughs> okay, let's jump into it. So we're going to talk all about melatonin today. As a starting point, Dave, what is melatonin? A lot of people know it has to do with sleep. That might be all we know about it. So give us a bit of an overview what it is. Look, I'll do my best to, to, to dumb it down as much as I can. But yeah, look, melatonin is a hormone and it's a powerful antioxidant and actually it's for people who don't know it's sort of classified as a kamikaze antioxidant okay so for people who don't know what that means like if we look at something like like cancer cells okay Mm -hmm. so basically melatonin and we might cover this a little bit more melatonin has the ability to kill cancer cells that tells you actually how powerful it is as an antioxidant but also essentially like kill itself. That's why they obviously call it a kamikaze antioxidant. So it does tell you like how powerful it is as an antioxidant. It actually got amazing anti-inflammatory benefits as well. And I guess the whole thing with like melatonin, I'm sure we're going to dive into this a little bit more, is that a lot of people, when we talk about the production of melatonin, you you can produce melatonin within uh, different tissues around the body mm. but obviously two major areas but i would say almost there's one major area that people focus on and that's obviously it getting released by the pineal glands like for people who don't know it's in your brain it's sort of like p-shaped area of the brain and that's i i think that's the major area that people mainly focus on and yeah. maybe we'll go into that a little bit more but you know one area that i probably want to highlight a little bit more and maybe we've got some bias here is that melatonin just plays an amazing role within the gastrointestinal tract so mm. and actually that's what they sort of talk about with like serotonin because about 95 mm. percent of the serotonin in the body is actually produced within the gastrointestinal tract and actually probably the major role here is that the serotonin gets converted to melatonin so serotonin gets converted into a serotonin that's actually got like antidepressant benefits in the body and then it gets converted to melatonin so maybe it's a lot of the serotonin that gets produced in the gut that really is just required for the for the melatonin. So I know I'm babbling on here a little well, bit. Well, there's but- a few things there, Dave, that are pretty important to cover. I think we should actually go a bit slower because this is pretty interesting stuff. So you said, and first up, you said it's a hormone and an antioxidant. So a, a compound can actually have multiple properties, right? So by saying it's a hormone, what are we saying? It messages things. It calls, it signals for things to happen, right? And so, and then you've talked about it having antioxidant properties as well. And, well, and, anti, and anti-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory yeah yep, yep, okay yep. and so as a hormone what's melatonin what action is it doing as a hormone yeah so if we actually look uh like melatonin what one way to look at this is like, let's focus on the melatonin that's getting released from the pineal gland and the melatonin is getting released from the pineal gland a lot of this is controlled by light there's sort of, sort of a bit of a saying of like you know lights on like melatonin off Mm-hmm. Okay. And so what really dictates like this release of the melatonin from the pineal gland is actually the hypothalamus. And there's actually a thing called the SCN. Uh, I think it's uh, super chia uh, somatic nucleus. That's what it stands for. Something like that. hundred percent quote me on that, but basically the way to look at it uh, and you get many different theories around this, but they say basically a lot of people's melatonin would start to get released maybe about 9 PM. 
I think there's a lot of evidence to show that this can really depend on your chronotype as yeah. well. There may, maybe certain people might release a high amount of melatonin a little bit earlier in the day. And also maybe people might produce a little bit more melatonin a little bit later in the evening. Okay. And so that really depends on your chronotype in this instance. And then the melatonin really starts to decrease about maybe 9 a.m. in the morning. And this is really controlled by the SCN. And the SCN basically when light... So first thing in the morning, when that's coming, uh, when the sun's coming up, okay, then it's going to um, minimize that release of melatonin from the pineal gland. And obviously when the sun goes down and obviously we go into darkness, okay, it actually helps with the release of, of melatonin from the pineal gland in this instance, okay? So, and in terms of, you know, what sort of functions this is helping with, well, it plays a big role in like sleep-wake cycle. Yeah. And so what I'm talking about here is your circadian rhythms or your, your sleep-wake cycle throughout the day. Yeah, okay? yeah. So really, obviously really important for that. I mean, there's, you know, maybe we might touch on some of these things. I know you might go into a little bit more depth, but they even say that, you know, melatonin plays just a key role in even other hormonal balance. And there's even yeah. evidence to show that it actually can help with elements of the menstrual cycle for females. And it actually sort of controls the release of other female hormones. And so it might play a role in the actual menstrual cycle itself mm. and actually the frequency of that menstrual cycle. And even though I think that it can control elements of like elements like menopause. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when that actually completely stops as well. Mm. So there's, 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 some, there's obviously some big roles here. So, and so I think it's important for females to understand that melatonin plays um, a key role in the, I guess, the consistency and frequency of their actual menstrual cycle. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the only, only hormones that are released at night, isn't it? Most hormones release is more during the day or during the morning. And so some people do posit that it has a bit of a role in, in almost orchestrating like daytime release of other hormones as well. So with melatonin so you've mentioned obviously the effect on on sleep wake cycle and, and you said something interesting there that some people might synthesize more release more a little bit later than others in the night or some people a little bit earlier and and that would then dictate how much is left in your system in the morning as well and so for some people who maybe are you know the type that release a bit more melatonin later in the evening they might more naturally be the type of person who's waking up a little bit later in the morning, aren't they? Or if they wake up earlier, they might feel quite groggy because they might still have elevated levels of melatonin in the system. Is that correct? Yeah, this is what they obviously talk. They, they say this is your, there's different chronotypes. Mm. And, um, and, and with these different chronotypes, and probably this stems back from like ancestral aspects. Yeah. yeah? And, and like, just, just to understand, like, you know, when we were more tribal, it wouldn't have been like the sun goes down and every single person in the tribe just went to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, because you're probably a little bit more vulnerable to, to predators and like someone needs to stay up and make sure that the, the tribe is safe. And so maybe this is where, like, once again, I'm not going to be able to prove that with direct data. Okay. But maybe that's where these sort of chronotypes did come from mm. where, you know, people say that they're more of a night owl. Okay. Or, they you know, they do better early in the morning. This is most likely to do with the chronotype. So there's certain people, yes, who naturally release higher amounts of melatonin when the sun goes down. And maybe that was even the high amounts of melatonin were happening even earlier than that 9 p.m. sort of uh, mm. time frame. And then, yes, certain people, okay, and so they, yes, go to bed earlier, but they also need to wake up earlier. And then obviously there's other people where they just 
feel quite alert and actually probably quite productive a little bit later. Mm. And their chronotype means that they were releasing more melatonin later in the, the evening. But with that, they go to bed later, but they also need to wake up later. And, and this is where I, I tend to find this is where this one can get really uh, interfered with in terms mm. of these people go to bed late. That's their natural chronotype. But then for whatever reason, work or, or, or maybe training or whatever that might be, they get up early. Okay. And that's really going to, you know, lead to like a, what they call like a sleep deficit in terms yep. of you just not getting enough sleep. Yeah. So most people are, from my experience, sort of working against that particular yep. chronotype. Yeah. And it's just the way society set up. You know, I've often thought this, I think for myself, I'm that, that type where I do better late at night and they'll wake up late in the day. And it's just not the way society's really established, you know, with school times and general work times, you know, it's, it is very much set up for people who do go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. Uh, and it's kind of trying to force you to fit into that, that particular sort of mold. And for some people, it doesn't work that well. And some people can be a bit more adaptable. You know, there are obviously a number of other genes which will also affect kind of your circadian rhythm and, and whether you find it easy to, to change that or not. But it is interesting that we sort of have a, a bit of a default, which doesn't necessarily fit everyone very well. I mean, what, one, one thing, I know, I know you're probably going to jump into something else, but one thing mm. I wanted to say also that I didn't mention is just how protective melatonin is to the brain in general. Yeah. And, and, and we've sort of like, you know, we've touched on this in, in, in previous lives potentially and when we talked about like you know bacterial byproducts and so mm. forth but melatonin is extremely protective for the blood brain barrier and so for people who, who don't know okay it's not as you wouldn't say it's a robust barrier as something like the gastrointestinal tract yeah. or even like the epithelium within the lungs but it is still a barrier okay so it obviously still does protect the brain and we are dealing with like you know epithelium and intracellular tight junctions and tight junction proteins so what melatonin actually helps to do is helps with the integrity of the blood brain barrier and actually even helps with things like white matter and white matter actually helps with cognitive function. So it's really, mm. really important. And there's certain, and once again, you can actually look this up in research. I can't remember like exact, you know, dates on these particular research papers, but if you look, you can definitely find it. There's actually research to show that uh, melatonin protects particular tight junction proteins within the blood brain barrier. One of them is called occludin, which you know I've mentioned many times, and the other one is claudine five. So it actually helps with their integrity, which means essentially protects the function of the blood-brain barrier, and that's really important in this instance because a lot of bacterial byproducts, and obviously the one we talked about in this instance is LPS, like lipopolysaccharides, fatty acid molecules, long-chain carbohydrate molecules. When there's high amounts of these in the in the bloodstream, they can actually damage the blood brain barrier outside of the blood brain barrier. And then what they end up doing is actually putting more pressure on melatonin because mel melatonin protects the blood brain barrier and actually LPS stimulates, they call them afferent neurons. And this can actually create more permeability within the blood brain barrier and actually affect the function of the blood brain barrier. So melatonin is really, you know, imperative to protect the blood brain barrier, especially when it's getting bombarded by. So what does that mean, Dave? So, so like you've talked about LPS, so LPS is produced by negative gram bacteria within the gut. So if there's gut permeability, we'll have higher levels of, of blood circulating LPS. And so you're saying that LPS and other compounds can, can start to downregulate or damage the blood brain barrier. But then what happens? What, why does that matter? Well, well yeah, it's, it's a great question because, and this is not necessarily 100% backed up with research. So I want to make that clear. But there's a bit of, 
unknown to whether the LPS can actually permeate through the blood-brain barrier and start to cause issues in the brain. Me, me personally, I think we're probably going to find out over time that it does cause some major issues within the brain. Yep. Okay, And there it's actually been linked to things like brain abscesses and lesions. And obviously, yep. you know, an example from a disease perspective would be something like multiple sclerosis. Yeah. So, and we actually know people with LPS exposure, they tend to get, you know, migraines and, yeah. you know, sinus pain behind the eyes and, yeah. and, and quite bad headaches. So it tends to be a very, very common symptom. But also if it damages the blood-brain barrier anyway, it's going to uh, allow like pro-inflammatory proteins or other ones to permeate up through the blood-brain barrier and start to cause inflammation in the brain. And, you know, if you actually look at some research, they, they have actually injected people with LPS mm. and they've injected in peripheral tissue. And actually one of the first things that they've noticed is it creates oxidonitrosative stress in the brain. So what that may, means is quite a technical term, but basically all that means is inflammation in the brain. Yeah. Okay. And two parts of the brain that that really affects is one is the hippocampus. Okay. So for, for people who don't know, that's in charge of short-term to long-term memory. Mm. Okay. This is gray matter. Okay. Mm. And then the other part of the brain that it affects the prefrontal cortex and prefrontal cortex is goal setting. And this can actually even create some issues around things like dopamine. So people could have like addiction issues and so forth. So, you know, and I, I guess if we pull that back to melatonin, yeah, okay, well, melatonin is protective in this instance. So it's going to protect that blood brain barrier. Okay. And um, that's why we would say, and I'm sure you would agree with me, that actually one of the number one sort of compounds you could take to protect the blood brain barrier, especially when you've got, you know, things like H pylori and mm. SIBO small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and negative gram bacterial overgrowth that, you know, uh, taking something like melatonin is really going to help to protect that blood brain barrier. I mean, it's uh, just, bear in this, just, just some of the things you mentioned there, because you talked about how you you suspect, you know, LPS could be affecting things like headaches and migraines. You even talked about memory loss. Each of those, there's actually studies showing the melatonin is, is beneficial in each of those areas. You know, there's studies showing that melatonin actually can be prophylactic for migraines. There's studies showing that under periods of high stress, melatonin actually increases memory recall. So each of those areas that you're talking about could be affected by a damaged blood-brain barrier. We know that melatonin actually helps with those. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, it, you know, it's, it's really good points. Like, it's good that you brought this up. So... I just think, once again, I'm not saying that melatonin also is going to obviously rectify the bacterial overgrowth. Yeah. Does that make yeah. sense? Okay. Yeah. So I want to make that clear. I don't want people to yeah. think like you're going to go out and you're going to take the melatonin and get rid of your negative gram bacteria issues and your yeah. LPS issues. But it's definitely going to, you know, prevent, you know, more of these molecules damaging yeah. the blood-brain barrier and also potentially other molecules and LPS permeating up through there and causing even more complications in the brain. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's so, a really important point. You know, there's uh, people might know I've been posting a fair bit about melatonin on, on social media and I've talked about studies where it's been used in things like, like I just mentioned, migraines. There's even studies where they've used it with endometriosis. And there's one study actually where they used it with, with women who had diagnosed endo and they gave, you know, a group of, of, of these people fairly high dose melatonin, about 10 milligrams a day. And there was something like a 40% reduction in pain scores. 
And, you know, it's not that, and, you know, melatonin is a really viable, you know, add-on or tool like you're talking about, but it's not fixing those issues. You know, it's not fixing the LPS issues. It's not fixing the bacterial issues. It's not fixing the gut permeability, but it's something which we can use in addition to those tools to actually fix those issues to help a little bit with some of the side effects, the symptoms that are co-occurring. Well, that, where there's definitely, you know, you sort of just jogged my memory on this, where there's been some interesting sort of developments around like melatonin, because, we sort of started to get into this, but if you actually look at it, there's like 400 to even up to maybe potentially 500 times more melatonin produced within the gastrointestinal tract. And obviously if we look at that, you know, people who are interested, like your microbiome are actually going to play a key role in this and certain types of microbiome. Okay. Especially, you know, potentially things like lactobacillus and why? Because lactobacillus control and modulates estrogen levels. And by doing that, helping with the estrogen, the estrogen is actually required for the metabolization of L-tryptophan, one of the key building blocks that we need here. Mm -hmm. But then there's other bacteria that's actually involved in conversion processes. So even things like, you know, Clostridium, which once again, gets a bit of a bad rap. Okay, it's a positive gram bacteria, but not all Clostridium is bad. Okay, uh, and even things like Enterococcus and Streptococcus. So a lot, lot of microbiome involved in this process. So we sort of talk about this in relation to serotonin, but it's important for melatonin ultimately. Yeah, okay. And then the, basically the L-tryptophan gets converted into 5-HTP, 5-hydroxy-L-tryptophan. And obviously a lot of people like this as a supplement, but mm. once again, I do tend to find it's just a stopgap because okay? it's not yep. really fixing the issue. And also then the 5-HTP gets converted to serotonin. Then that gets converted to acetyl serotonin. And that's the one that's got antidepressant you know, benefits. And then melatonin. So the gut is playing a, it's a huge role in here. And actually there's evidence to show that melatonin is really important for the mucosa. So what we're talking about here is the actual lining. And what I was going to say to you, because you jog my memory, is maybe there is some evidence to show that melatonin could have some benefits around things like intestinal permeability, potentially. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really fascinating because they've found that anyone who has potentially like compromised like microbiome, okay, very severe gastrointestinal inflammation and what's probably going to lead to that, hyperpermeability, severe intestinal permeability, damage to the gut lining, well, it's definitely going to compromise something like melatonin. So, you know, a big point that I want to get across to people is that, you know, if you just think it's about like, you know, blue blockers and just, mm. you know, uh, avoiding blue light and like, like, don't get me wrong. Okay. Like, you know, or, you know, living in a back cave and these, these are really good things when it comes yeah. to what I'm talking about with the SCN. Okay. Yeah. This is really important stuff. Okay. But what about just the integrity of your gut lining? Yeah. Okay. And making sure that you have the right microbiome balance. So I just wanted to bring that up. So Dave, I'm not sure if you if you have an answer for me here, but do you have any idea how much melatonin? Because you said there's hundreds of times more produced in the gut than in the pineal. Well, band. once again, and that's sort of changing because when I first learned about this, is that they sort of, they sort of, you know, was mentioned there's about 400 times more. But like okay. I've actually read literature recently says that potentially it's up to 500 times more. Now, basically, what does that tell me, Jake? It tells me. We probably don't know exactly. Yeah, for starters, we don't know. So in the pineal gland, in a normal adult, do you recall how much melatonin's re release? It's it's less, what is it? It's like half a milligram or something, isn't it? Yeah, it's a small, I mean, I can't remember the exact amount, it's a, but it's 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 a small amount, but I definitely can't re remember the exact metric there. Mm. 
And this is one of the, one of the, I guess, important things to know, because there's a lot of, and we might touch on some of the FAQs with melatonin towards the end, but there's a lot of, I guess, ambiguity or questioning around dosages and people will say, well, hang on, don't you only need a very small amount to dose it? And that's true. Like I just mentioned, you know, I'm pretty sure you only produce a very small amount of pineal gland and studies for, for things like insomnia or sleep benefit, they tend to find a lot of these, these benefits from melatonin in as little as one milligram. Yeah, very low dose. Well, and that's, yeah, that's interesting you say that because that's jogged my memory with a, a research paper that I did read <laughs> where they, 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 they basically said that for things like prolonged release, yep. you know, to, to actually help with pro, prolonged release and then actually help with, with sleep, I think it was as little as like two milligrams would mm. actually help with that. Yeah, Absolutely, guys, so, yeah, I'm sure. The yeah. studies using very small amounts and getting basically yeah. the same benefit. And that's where people then say, well, you should never supplement with more than that. You should only use half a milligram or use one milligram. And that's true if you're only using it to help with insomnia. And I would say in, in, in my case, when I'm working with clients and probably the same with you, Dave, that's usually the last reason we're using it. Maybe we might use it at some point to people have sleep issues, but we're using it largely for you know the effects you've talked about blood brain barrier, reducing inflammation. You know, I'm using it with, with clients who do have hormonal issues. You know, we're using it for all these other purposes. And in those instances, a milligram is not going to do much. You know, the studies used in, in for those things, migraines and endo, like I said, 10 milligrams in the endo study. So that's where if we're using it for the antioxidant purposes, anti-inflammatory, you need to go much higher with the dosing. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the old expression is it's a little bit like uh, urinating in a hurricane. Yeah. yeah, you're not you're not going to notice too much. Yeah, so yeah. I'm not taking away, but like if people are just using it for those primary reasons for mm-hmm. you know uh, prolonged release sleep and all that type of stuff, I get it. Yeah, okay. But if we're talking about like some of the things that I've mentioned, you know, like LPS, negative gram bacteria, well, I'd actually say to actually protect the blood brain barrier in that instance that you're going to need to be like probably bare minimum five milligrams, but most likely up to about mm. ten milligrams. Yeah. And then when we're dealing with more sinister complications and, you know, uh, we've talked about this before, that melatonin, if it's a kamikaze antioxidant, well, it can be very good for killing cancer cells. Now, is there, is there a potential link here to the decrease in melatonin production, um, especially with people with gastrointestinal issues and, you know, and blue light and all these other things? Is there a potential link here to, to something like cancer with the decrease in, in melatonin production? Because, you know, I think I talked to you about a research paper, it was 2014 research paper, where they were looking at things like breast cancer, uh, colorectal cancer. I think there was another cancer in there. It might have been prostate. Like, don't quote me on that. But what they actually noticed is that because, once again, that kamikaze sort of antioxidant effect has the ability to kill cancer cells, they're actually uh, looking at it around like uh, tumor, tumor growth. And actually showed that in this instance, in this research study, that it actually could inhibit tumor growth by up to about 28%, which is actually pretty significant. Mm. Now, not, like, like I want to make it clear here that I'm not saying that melatonin is like a, a remedy for cancer. Yeah, okay. Mm. So, but I'm saying that it's definitely got some amazing properties that actually would help to minimize things like tumor growth and 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 at least support someone who does have cancer. Yeah. And, you know, again, to go back to what we sort of mentioned earlier, nothing is a monotherapy. You know, we're never going to use one supplement to someone or just one intervention to someone, but in combination with multiple other things, that's where these things really shine. And, you know, like you said, obviously there's, there's studies that have used it in cancer. There's studies that have used melatonin in, 
in so many different things. I've seen studies using in eczema and psoriasis. I posted a study about those using IBS and there's a significant reduction in IBS symptoms. Obviously, you and I know IBS is, is a rubbish term, but in, in these digestive symptoms, there's a significant decrease in people just taking melatonin. And I've seen studies even on weight loss where postmenopausal women took melatonin daily for a year no other change and they lost body fat there's studies using it in schizophrenia there's studies using it you know it's being used studied a lot for covid at the moment there's studies using as high as 50 milligrams a day for covid treatment so it's it's so multifaceted and there's so i mean tinnitus that's another one i don't know if you've seen those studies there but several studies showing its benefit in tinnitus so it's, it's so multifaceted and the reality is you know i say this to to my mentoring clients that we're asking the wrong question when we say someone's got x condition What's the, you know, what do you do about X condition? Well, it doesn't really matter because what caused X condition? You know, we shouldn't be asking, what do you do for tinnitus? We should be asking what caused the tinnitus and then what do we do for that? And, you know, whether it's tinnitus or whether it's, it's migraines or whether it's IBS, well, if the cause was LPS or was inflammation, well, the melatonin is probably going to help in that instance. You know, like it's, it's is it going to help with whatever is that underlying issue there? And a lot of the time, melatonin is probably going to have a pretty beneficial effect. Yeah. And it's even interesting what you're saying around some of those studies, especially around IBS. I mean, obviously, from our perspective, you know, uh, 70% of all IBS is SIBO. Now, also, SIBO does have a tendency to be a little bit more dominant when it comes to negative gram bacteria. Now, Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong, guys. Like, I'm not saying that, you know, because the ratio can be very different from one person to the next, okay? but it can tend to be made up of things like Escherichia coli, E. coli, mm-hmm. bacteroids. Okay. These things are like negative gram bacteria. Okay. Yep. Now, is it the case that they're dealing with a higher amount of LPS? And this is why the, the, yeah. the melatonin is so effective in this instance. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that conclusively, but you would have to use a little bit of logic and say, yep. well, that's probably why they're responding extremely well to it. So, and then, you know, what I was talking around, you know, things about like cancer and tumors and so forth, then, you know, what you were talking about in terms of dosaging. Now, would you really think like a two milligram dosage that helps with something like, you know, sleep quality and these types of things, (laughs) okay? Or even like a, you know, five milligram or 10 milligram to potentially just help to protect the blood brain barrier and mitigate the negative impacts of LPS. Do we really think that's going to have a significant impact on something like, you know, uh, tumors and and, mm. and and cancer cells mm. okay so in that instance you're probably looking at what what like 20 milligrams like even higher like 40 yeah. milligrams yeah. i mean like i can't remember what the you know the exact amounts that were used in the instance of like 2014 where they were using on for people with breast cancer and so forth but you would imagine that it's going to probably be around like the you know 40 milligram mark at least i'd imagine yeah 50 70 yeah. something yeah yeah it's it's going to be extremely high so we want to make that clear like when you are dealing with serious health ailments like this i mean if you're going like these really small dosages in this instance yeah. i mean yes it might improve your sleep and yes it might improve the you know the blood brain barrier okay but once again don't expect that it's going to have massive inroads to something yeah. something as serious as like cancer in this instance yeah yeah. And if you, you know, obviously this is not, not medical advice, but if people are going to be dosing higher, then we mentioned at the start, obviously melatonin is still going to be in your system in the morning. 
and some people, you know, they, they might have more impaired kind of clearance of melatonin. And if you're dosing relatively high, even if you're dosing a normal amount, even if you start with one milligram, if for some people, if they do that too late at night and they're waking up early, they're going to feel pretty groggy because it's still going to be in the system. So you may need to dose that early in the evening. And if you are going to dose very high, you, you probably need to work up to it. If you jump onto, even if you just go straight to a 10 milligram tablet, you're probably going to feel pretty wiped out the next morning. You know, so, you know, when I've done this with clients, we started low one milligram, three milligrams, maybe, maybe five, if, if we're going to be a little bit more liberal. And then, you know, each week we might double it. We might go up to 10, then we might go up to 20. We will do it slow. You know, if you go, <laughs> go out and, and do 50 milligrams overnight, you know, you're just going to be hung over. So it's important. Yeah. And, and, and it's probably important to understand as well, like a lot of these sleep aids, if you are using it as a sleep aid in this instance, but you know, um, you know, certain things you can get like a dependence. Yeah. And, and, and my a time- lot of people ask this question, Dave, this is a pretty important thing. So yeah. Tell us, what do you think about that? Yeah. So like, and definitely I can agree with that with certain compounds. I mean, yeah. like one that, you know, it's hard to get in Australia, unfortunately, because I'm, I'm a big fan of it. Something like Fenaboot. Okay. Mm. A Fenaboot basically actually helps to with GABA production, GABA amino buric acid. I actually thought it was an amazing supplement. They actually, Russians used to use it with, you know, their astronauts in space to actually help them sleep. But, you know, there, there was obviously instances where it was abused, okay, and they took too high a dosage. But you can actually get a dependence on something like Fenaboot. Now, if you actually look at it, there's a lot of evidence to show that you just cannot get this dependence on something like melatonin. So you don't get that dependence. It's something that you can, I'm not, I'm not saying that you have to use it like, every single day okay for the rest of your life but a lot of people are worried about like the whole thing yeah. becoming dependent on it so forth i don't see a lot of itch- literature to actually support that um that stance yeah that's that's sort of my stance as well i've seen several studies to suggest the opposite like what you're saying there i've seen a couple of studies where they used it daily for a year and in both of those studies that i that i can recall they stopped supplementation and within a week natural production of melatonin was was back to normal and in one of those studies it was like the next day or two days there was no change so that's been my understanding that's generally the consensus that there is no sort of dependency when it comes to melatonin, I have, I admit, I have heard a few people questioning this lately. Dr. Huberman, I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. He has put that into question. I haven't had a chance to see exactly what he's been, if there's research he's been quoting, but from my understanding, at least so far of the science, it doesn't seem to be something that people are creating a dependency on. Yeah. And also we're like willing to put our hand up and like at the moment, we're just saying that we don't see that, mm. see there being, a lot of research and evidence to say that you you get a dependence on it, but also we'll put our hand up and say that well we could change that in over time if there is more literature yeah. and there is more research to say that there could be some complications here and also to understand like when you are taking um, you know melatonin supplementation just to be wary of a lot of the time especially if they're more things like lozenges and all these types of things okay but a lot of the time they can have certain types of sweeteners and that can be mm. things like mannitol and so mm. forth now if you've got something like SIBO and you're having like essentially what we would classify as like polyols like mannitols polio okay well you, you could only absorb about 30 percent of the polyols that you consume which basically means it's like fodder which mm. is food, food for bacteria so it can sit there can ferment so just so to let you know that you just got to be mindful of some of these. I'm not having a go at these sweeteners, mm. but if you do have some of these gastrointestinal yeah. issues, okay, which is probably why you 
would need to take melatonin in the first place, okay, that uh, you just need to be mindful of um, having some of these sweeteners because then you're thinking you're not responding well to the melatonin. Yeah. What you're actually not responding well to is the mannitol and the sweeteners. And the other aspect is like I, I do tend to like to use uh, P5P, which is pyridoxal 5-phosphate, okay, which is B6. Reason being is not always, you know, melatonin has in the past has been used sort of solely by itself, but I do tend to find that melatonin is utilized better when it's actually taken in conjunction with a P5P or a B6, just actually helps with the uptake of melatonin. And like P5P is actually helps with the synthesis of the serotonin. So it's mm. got huge benefits there. It's obviously involved in a lot of, you know, enzymatic and metabolic processes in the body and actually helps to pair up with B6 to actually help with, you know, neurotransmitter balance in the brain and actually also benefits to uh, things like GABA, gamma amino buric acid as well. It's a key cofactor. So you like, I think that the, the matchup with those two together, that's that's the path mm. that I tend to go down is that I want a more, and like you don't necessarily, even if you're going to use melatonin by itself, but probably I'd still use a P5P as well. You don't always have to necessarily use melatonin with P5P, but if you can find that mm. combo, you know, one of the ones that I like is Biotics Research, which can okay. be really, really hard to get. But once again, that's just a tablet. So it's just something for people to bear in mind is just having that combination together. Yeah. It's probably going to have a little bit more multifaceted benefits in the body in this instance. Alternatively, a lot of companies do like a magnesium glycinate with a P5P added. And so if you got that and then had the melatonin with it, that'd be a pretty good sleep combo as well. It's personally what I actually do myself. I want to talk about the pineal gland, Dave. So you mentioned, obviously, we produce some of our melatonin there and probably the, the melatonin most of us are aware of that we talk about. Now, why is it that melatonin production goes down as we age? Some people may not know that. So it does generally go down as we age. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, like, look, one one big aspect that, you know, and people have talked about this in the past is you can get like a like a calcification of the pineal gland. Okay. Yeah. Now, you know, obviously certain people are going to talk about things like fluoride and 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 these types of things. But I mean, I That's actually what I was setting up for. I yeah, well, well, one of the, actually, well, actually, well, actually, one of the big ones that I, I, you know, if we're talking about the quality of water, maybe we're not going to go <laughs> too far down that rabbit hole. I mean, that's probably a, a, a podcast, podcast in itself. But I tend to find actually more problematic uh, compounds, and I'm not saying that's not problematic in this instance, and it has been linked to calcification in the pineal gland. Mm. And obviously, there's certain things you can do to actually help to decalcify the the pineal gland in this instance, and. There's even other, like by decalcifying, there's other compounds that you really help with. It's not just melatonin, but you help with things like DMT, dimethyltryptamine, which actually helps with, you know, tapping into subconscious. Now people think that's going to, ooh, it's like woo-woo, hippie sort of stuff, but it definitely does help you to tap into your subconscious. Pineal glands, that's referred to as your third eye, is it not? Yeah, that's the, that's the, they do refer to it as the third eye. Yeah. So, but even things like, like, like chlorine and people just need to understand like chlorine is corrosive. Just so you understand that. So, and I'm, I'm sure if I if I put a shot glass of chlorine in front of you, just go, well, Jake, just knock that back. Yeah. But people go, well, because it's in small concentrations, it's not a big deal. And I go, oh, it's a big deal. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and because you are having that, you know, daily. Okay. And so even though it's in a smaller amounts, and that can be really problematic to areas like the pineal gland, it can be obviously very problematic to the, the gastrointestinal tract. And, you know, anything that's affecting the gastrointestinal tract is, is going to have a knock-on effect to the brain as well mm. because you're breaking down the most protective physical barrier, 
the next thing that's going to be more vulnerable is the blood-brain barrier in that instance, okay? And so, you know, there's definitely things that can help to decalcify the pineal gland in this instance. I mean, they actually talk a little bit about like malic acid. Malic acid you get from things like apple cider vinegar, there's stuff around things like chlorella, and I think even spirulina was talked about in this yeah. instance. And I know actual- neem is talked about a lot. Oh, that's an interesting one. Mm. Yeah. And that name's got obviously benefits around like SIBO and actually boron, which is like a mineral can be very, very deficient in like soil, you know, maybe taking something that's a bit more of a trace mineral could be uh, beneficial Mm -hmm. in that instance. The other thing that's really good in this, in this instance is actually even something like metacognition, meditation. And if you actually look at like, from my perspective, like metacognition, which is sort of like, you know, observations of limiting beliefs and uh, social conditioning and these types of things. But if you can tap into certain types of waves, and I think it's in particular like gamma waves, mm-hmm. well, gamma waves can actually actually help to inhibit MAO, it's monoamine oxidase. And uh, monoamine oxidase can actually minimize and inhibit the release of too much uh, melatonin from the pineal gland. Now, in this instance, if you can actually impact the MAO, then you can actually help with higher release of melatonin from the pineal gland and even higher release of things like DMT. So just a bit of a side note, like, you know, maybe looking into like metacognition, meditation. I know we talk, we have the tendency to talk, you know, more supplemental and mm. more gut lining, but, you know, once again, we also have to fix what's going on, going mm. on up in the brain. There's no doubt about that. So, so in your experience, would you say, say someone who's, cause I, I remember seeing a study that people as young as I think it was two years old had exhibited calcification in the pineal gland. Like that's crazy. So would you say that, you know, say you get someone who's a little bit older, you know, maybe they've got issues sleeping. We suspect there's some melatonin issues it, by doing some of these things, using some of these compounds, doing the metacognition, would you say that there's a, the possibility there that they can essentially upregulate the own production again and, and release again and, and reverse that? Well, like I always sit in the realms of if you, if you put the work in and you do the right things, mm. yeah, okay, it is possible. Mm. Yeah, I'm not saying maybe it's going to take a little bit longer. Okay, yeah. maybe yeah, it's going to require a little bit more work. Okay, and I also I'd say on top of that, like clean up the the water that you're drinking. Yeah, yeah okay? I mean, that's really that's huge. I mean, we'll definitely probably cover that at some point. Yeah, yeah. okay, but you know whether it's reverse osmosis, I'm not necessarily saying saying that it has to be this high alkaline water, but it, it's going to have to have a lot of you know key minerals in there. That's a really important thing about uh, water, and also understand water generally had all these other compounds in there like folic acid and humic acid and all these types of things so um yeah and so so like just at very least just just clean up the water yeah Yeah. and that's going to help and some of these other things that we're talking about as well and also you know we're probably not going to go into a huge amount of uh, detail with this but you can look at your minimizing exposure to blue light okay like i know you put a lot of focus on this and, you know, whether it is things like blue blockers, where it is like creating more of a back cave at, at night, like, yeah. of course, that these things are, are going to help to promote a higher amount of release of, yeah. of melatonin from the pineal gland and actually help to, in, in, in turn, protect your blood brain barrier as well. Yeah. And it's not just, it's obviously blue light is, is probably most significant, but it's, it's really intensity of light as well. You know, there's no point wearing your blue light blocking glasses and then having all these overhead lights on and, and, you know, be looking at a really bright, you know, phone or TV, like, yes, it will help mitigate a little bit of that, but 
ultimately we also want to be turning down the brightness you know you turn it down on your phone turn it down you know use a lamp use a, a salt lamp or use candles or you know whatever it is but if you know you don't want to be you know going to bed and having all these really bright artificial lights on even if you've got the glasses that's not going to negate that effect and if you're doing some of those things at night as well it's like yes okay do all these things that we're talking about but also maybe just like meditate before you go yeah. to bed yeah Okay, so like at least do something that's going to, you know, help to even help with a high release of, you know, melatonin from the pineal gland. So like, you know, once again, I'm not telling you not to do these things. I understand people got to work, they got to do things, but it's not that hard to, you know, maybe just go, well, I'm just going to do five minutes, 10 minutes of like metacognition or meditation or something like that. Yeah. So... Is there anything people need to know about supplementation? We did touch on dosing and, and how that sort of changes depending on, on the purpose. I mentioned, you know, if you are feeling super groggy the next day, you can try moving in a little bit earlier. Is there anything you want to say about like carbs and, and sort of glucose response with the melatonin? I mean, obviously there's natural ways we can promote melatonin as well. Like into even like the foods that you consume, I probably uh-huh. like, you know, there's, you know, like, so cherries can actually help with melatonin. Yeah, like, but I, tart cherry. Yeah. I've heard that, like, the you can get yeah, tart yeah. cherry juice. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I don't, like, in saying that as well, like, I don't think, I don't think necessarily the answer is that you go out and you just start consuming all, like, all these cherries. Yeah, yeah go yeah. With tart cherry. Like, the pistachios, is that another one? I think, like, chaga, like, okay. you know, like, a medicinal mushroom. Yeah, okay. like, mm. I'm not, like, that, that may be. There's definitely uh, a lot of foods that actually help with melatonin mm-hmm. as well. But once again, we're, we're obviously talking about when people have, you know, a lot of these like serious underlying issues. And yeah. so those things are good for just helping with melatonin. And if you don't have these complications, so I'm yeah. not taking away from that, yeah. but whether they're going to be significant enough to help with things like LPS and, you know, issues with the blood brain barrier and like, you know, and more sinister illnesses and yeah. diseases. Well, that's a different story. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's spot on. So as always, you know, it comes down to knowing what you're using it for and that's going to dictate how much you need, you know, the dosing you're using, how long you're going to use it for. You know, it's it's not a one-size-fits-all. You know, there's no point, you know, using, like you said, a, a bit of cherry juice if you're trying to fight cancer. Obviously, that's not going to do the job. And at the same time, if if all you want is a little bit of sleep support, then that might do the trick. So, you know, obviously people need to understand that there's, there's a variance in how we're using some of these compounds. Yep. That's good. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dave. I think that was, um, I enjoyed that. I think it's melatonin's one of those subs where almost anything, like if you look up, if there's a study using melatonin for that, that condition, you're often going to find that there's studies showing that it has some benefit. So well, even, of- even some, like I didn't even really get into it. Maybe we talk about this another time, but even there's some evidence to show that like melatonin can be really good for actually helping with particular heavy metals as well. Yeah. So once again, there's definitely some literature around that. And, yeah. you know, that, that could definitely be very relevant to a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's a fun topic. I think you, there's a few more topics that have come out of this. I think we're going to do one on, on water because there's a lot of different issues in that. So we'll, we'll have to do that at some point. But thank you for today. And hopefully you guys found this interesting. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, guys. Thanks so much for listening, guys. As always, we hope this podcast was helpful. If you want to continue to connect with us, our social media profiles are linked in the show notes. And don't forget, the contents of this podcast are for educational purposes only. None of the information provided in a gut feeling is intended to treat, diagnose, or give medical advice. So please consult a healthcare professional before making any changes to your lifestyle.